Hi, I'm Alicia. Hi, I'm Sarah. We're two English teachers reclaiming literacy through pop culture. Welcome to Lit. So, two theater geeks who love musicals and love all things theater. Walk into a bar? Like, are you setting up a joke, Sarah? (laughs) It just seemed irresponsible to me that we would not sit down to talk about the Sundance film, well, the film from Sundance, of theater camp. Because it is everything that we truly love about just theater and storytelling. And I felt that I, you know, I need to bring this to you, that this is something we need to do. And my husband and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was like, only a fellow theater geek can really truly appreciate the high drama that this movie is. Mm. So here we are. We are talking theater camp. And it may be obscure and you may not have watched it, people, but I highly recommend it. Just, especially if you're a theater geek, you need to watch this one. Have to. Just do it. And it's now streaming on Hulu, which is how I got around to it. Right? Sarah saw it in theaters. I saw it on streaming. It's what we do these days. But here's <laughs> what's funny. I think Sarah and I, we have this really interesting balance in our relationship where one of us will recommend something to the other. And then the follow-up question has to be, okay, is this for the podcast or just because it's good? Right? And <laughs> this one, you recommended to me, and that was my immediate follow-up question, just because Ben Platt's in it or because, like, we should talk about it on the podcast. And you paused, because then that's always I have to give you permission to, can you justify it to me? <laughs> Which then you did. You said, well, we've never talked about mockumentaries. And that could actually be, I mean, mockumentaries have hugely exploded as a genre in the past several decades. So I was like, all right, hey, I'm here for it. That's a really interesting, unique lens. Let's talk about mockumentaries. Because as English teachers, I mean, one, the the history of mockumentaries is fascinating, but ultimately the genre of mockumentary plays with the line between fiction and nonfiction. And it's always fascinating. I think when when you teach students memoir, when you do anything is we're encouraged so much to expose students to more nonfiction texts, whether that be newspapers or just other non just literary, creative, artistic texts. As we expand their understanding of the written text, we're also then most likely introducing more nonfiction into our classrooms. But nonfiction itself can be so subjective, it leans into that concept of fiction. And mockumentaries, I think, hold us as humans accountable to that distinction. Would you agree with that, Sarah? I, I absolutely agree with that. And it's fun. I, I, yeah. It is fun to think about how, because I love documentaries anyway. Like both of us have the documentaries that we both appreciate. And I love to learn. And a mockumentary allows you to dive into the world of learning about something you may not know anything about while also realizing that there is some rich storytelling that is happening here with a good documentary. So I, and and you're right. It's a whole genre that has absolutely exploded and has become very popular. And for good or bad, it's because of mockumentaries that we have documentaries like Tiger King out there in the world. Right. So, (laughs) I mean, it it has potentially, 
you know, it has potentially tainted the waters of our understanding of documentary and the dramatization of story in documentaries. But before I go into the history of mockumentaries and some of the terms around mockumentaries and then into theater camp itself, Sarah, can you tell me what are what is one of your favorite mockumentaries from the past few years or just in your lifetime that you've enjoyed? Well, we were really big fans of The Office and we watched every season, even the last two really rough seasons. Um, so I, I really enjoyed The Office a lot for the satirical approach, the character development, everything. Um, also a really big fan of Modern Family. Same thing. I mean, it, it went for a long time, but I loved watching the progression of those families as they developed and as they changed and as there was all of this high drama, but also a lot of love and affection. And I'll be honest, you put Parks and Rec down as a, a good example of a mockumentary. As someone who has lived in Indiana for a, not as long as you, but a, a long time, I have, there are things about Parks and Rec that I appreciate. I just, it's the one I could never get into because we just never started at the right time. But I think I could. I think I could if I gave it the time and sat down and started rewatching it. I think that's what I get. You gotta skip the first season. And then, then you would love it. I just have to tell you that. The first season, it's it's figuring out, it's, it's stretching its legs. I would say Parks and Rec is, is the chef's kiss of those three that you just listed. The Office, sure, define, re, reinvents a sitcom through a mockumentary lens, and the modern family builds off that. But Parks and Rec, it's just good. <laughs> it's just good. The memes that come from Parks and Rec are just so fantastic. And I know that part. Like, I know that the memes yeah. that come from Parks and Rec are great. I know enough about the show to be able to appreciate all of it. But mm. it, I have to sit down and give it time. I know I do. I, I have to. That's but, fair. you know, the whole idea of the mockumentary, I was in college when the Blair Witch Project came out. And I remember... Mm all the controversy about that one because as a horror film being shot on a video camera, not on a cell phone, on a video camera back when you had to have a tape and a camera to do everything. Uh, it, it was controversial because people were like, well, is it real? Is it not real? But it was also just a fascinating reinvention of the horror genre of trying to figure out how can we tell a horror film in a way that is completely different than before. I've still never watched it. I was mm. a part of the whole high drama people. I knew a lot of people that were watching it, but I'm not a horror film fan. So I wasn't really jumping on the boat to watch it. So you and I both mentioned sitcoms that played with this mockumentary structure. And one of the things that's even different between the office and for example, parks and rec or even uh, modern family, both modern family and the office, you just have seasoned actors who come into the space. I watched a few interviews with actors of the office today who, as they kind of developed the mockumentary structure, they talked about how they had to film things differently, how they were encouraged to improvise. And many of them who were, not seasoned actors were like, how do I do this? Versus Parks and Rec, by the final few seasons, they'd say, here's the concept of what we want to get to by the end of this scene and action. And you have several people who are SNL actors. You have lots of very seasoned actors who are coming to that space. And most of the show, it's a one take improvised done. It, it, it's just, it, that is a improv 
and improv style comedy is a huge part of what makes a mockumentary work because a documentary is supposed to be unscripted human living, right? And so then a mockumentary yeah. tries to play off of that same energy, right? But let's go all the way back. You mentioned the Blair Witch Project. Really, the, the history of mockumentaries, I mean, we have all the way back to, I, I watched a great video today about if you haven't heard about the War of the Worlds radio recording where someone was dramatizing the story of the War of the Worlds and people thought there was a real alien invasion that happened in the 1930s. Um, there was a great one. It was meant to be a comedic BBC report, but spaghetti had not yet become an international dish. It was really only people knew that you could eat spaghetti in Italy. So the BBC did a satirical presentation of a spaghetti tree and how in Italy they just pull their spaghetti straight off the tree then they boil it and then they make spaghetti for their families and there was actually oh, thousands of phone calls into the BBC asking where can I purchase a spaghetti tree my family and I would like to try this dish it looks delicious so this is even just like two genres radio just audio right and then we add visual in now you're bringing up the same thing that going into the Blair Witch Project's and we look at I mean, camera angles are a huge part of the mockumentary of making it feel like it is authentic and not acted out or not planned in any way. One of the other mockumentaries that I grew up on, that was a family film that I thoroughly enjoyed was the gods must be crazy. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a obscure film from the eighties, but one. it is uh, about a Bushman who one day a uh, Coke bottle falls from the sky and initially it's a gift and a blessing because his family has never had glass. And so there's all these things that glass can do for them, but then it can also be used as a weapon. So he decides that he has to return this glass bottle because it's fallen from the sky. It must be from the gods. The gods must be crazy for giving it to him. And so he has to go return it to the gods. Well, AKA he has to go back into Caucasian civilization away from his bush, you know, his, uh, Bushman tribe and what he gets exposed to as he enters into the modern world is again, it's a, a beautiful commentary on, on culture and language and, and division and power, but it, it is a satire. It's humorous. It's, it's very adorable. Highly recommend it. But with all of that in mind, what comes up for you as you hear about the history of mockumentaries, Sarah? Um, a lot of it is the talking to the camera. So the, the separate interviews where people talk to the camera and they have things to say that they don't want other people to say, but it's, it's a character development. Like you watch these characters develop over the course of time because you're seeing the way they interact with the camera when they get to be honest by themselves. And then also when they're with their coworker, well, I'm thinking about the office even like when they're with their coworkers, you get a much different vibe with the way that they all relate to each other. Right. So you get that conversation. I love the hidden camera views when they show what's happening and nobody knows. Well, it looks like nobody knows what's happening, but nobody supposedly knows what's happening, but they're just kind of showing what's happening behind the sign right behind the scenes. Um, that can be a lot of fun. And I, I like that element of the storytelling because the whole idea of a mockumentary is that it's supposed to be feel real all this supposed to feel like this is something that could actually happen. And as hyperbolic as elements of theater camp are, there's also a lot of elements that seem hyperbolic, 
but aren't really that hyperbolic. Like you can if, see if you've ever some been around actually happening. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you've you've heard them say some of those things. Like the the oh, definite yeah. diva attitude. You've heard them you've also seen the kid with not as much talent who thinks that they have a ton of talent and you've seen what they have to say. It's like I've had those conversations with <laughs> kids or overheard them. So it seems like it's over the top, but maybe it's not as over the top as people think it is. So you bring up an interesting thing then in, in theater camp, hundred percent watch this movie. And I was like, Oh golly, I, I've been involved in theater since I was in middle school through high school. I mostly was on the tech crew. So I helped build sets and then I helped, you know, run lights or sound or things like that, or just worked backstage and I actually sometimes enjoyed that more than the times that I ended up playing a small role on stage because I got to just watch the magic unfold every night and be involved in the making of that magic versus when you're an actor, I mean, the magic you make it is fully based on your body and how you control it in interaction with others. But Yes, I every every bit of this movie is people are going and they're they're just being so over the top. They're not actually being over the top. They're being theater people. And the other thing is, you're talking about those those interviews. There aren't as many of those one on one interviews in theater camp. So you think in, in a mockumentary, especially, oftentimes those interviews we think in the office, we think in Parks and Rec. That's where the fourth wall is broken. And we get to see that insight of, well, I'd never say this in front of my coworkers or I'd never say this in front of my family, but I I have something to tell you, right? So I I think that was what was interesting about this specific mockumentary is that I wondered through the whole thing, were they aware that they were being filmed? It was structured like a mockumentary, but were they conscious of the camera in a way that in other mockumentaries, they very much are. That's an interesting question. Yeah. So it's filmed as a mockumentary, but how involved are they in that? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and we don't necessarily have an answer. And you know, this is also like, I love Deadpool as a superhero because he constantly breaks the fourth wall there. He has no boundaries. He's just like, hi audience. Let me tell you about myself. And that's often in a mockumentary, you know, like Michael in the office, that is, hi, camera, let me tell you about my day, even though he is a person who maybe should have some boundaries. So (laughs) um, (laughs) I I think that's kind of an interesting just piece as I thought about this specifically, is that so innately in theater, to be a theater camp person, you're always performing. So you don't have to nod to the audience. Well, okay, without reading any reviews to get additional insight into that, I think one of the interesting places we can start in looking at this is the relationship between Amos and Rebecca Diane. Because as best friends who went to theater camp together, as students, and then we're going to go to Juilliard, and Amos and we find out that Amos did not get accepted in Juilliard, Rebecca Diane did, and she gave up. Juilliard for her best friend and now both of them love theater and want to be performers and yet neither of them have gotten their big break 
even though Rebecca Diane is still looking for her big break, right? She really wants this. She wants this big break. And she's afraid that Amos is going to hate her for doing this and for leaving him. And I, I think if you're talking about being performative, she does make a point throughout this. It's not just to avoid the other characters. She makes it a point to avoid the camera too. She doesn't want anyone to follow her around to know what she's actually up to so that we, we know she's up to something, but we don't know what she's up to until she finally tells him, I got this job working on a cruise and this is my dream and this is what I want to do. And it, it's heartbreaking to watch him have that realization, but it becomes an interesting commentary on really fulfilling dreams. And for her, this is her fulfilling her dream. But we also see other characters that are secretly going to do this as well. We see this other, these dreams being built for other characters throughout the film, which is a beautiful thing to see, but also realistic. And we're talking about the world of theater. It is a beautiful world it has it offers a place for kids that may not work out great on the sports field although they do have one character who's fantastic and loves theater camp but is also an athlete and so he's dealing with that 10 one of the kids is dealing with that tension of he he enjoys theater camp and he's enjoying this experience that his dad has made him do and at the same time he is absolutely an athlete and you can totally see it in the way he carries himself and the way that he throws a ball and, and is interacting with the campers at the other camp, the rival camp. Um, so there, there's some, the music he listens to the, yeah. the fact that he has to come out. The fact that he knows no musicals at the end. <laughs> yeah. He, he knows nothing about musicals, right? He, he has absolutely no clue about it, which is so Funny, yeah, his dad say that at the end. It's just, it's like, oh, honey, we always knew. We <laughs> always knew. It's like, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, so sweet. So let, let's add another layer on to kind of, you know, no matter what, a mockumentary or documentary, it has to be a little meta. It has to be kind of the all-seeing eye that has seen everything and then is choosing what parts of the story they're going to put in front of you. And so yep. we know that, this is based off of a short film that Ben Platt made years ago with friends. Can we also just acknowledge all of the real footage of baby Ben Platt on stage with baby Molly Gordon? Like the fact that they are the two main actors who you know, are the teachers at the camp, but then they're also constantly flashing back to who they were when they were campers. And that, that's actual footage of them at a theater camp when they were children. And then, like, now it's supposed to be fast-forwarding, too. Both of them very successful actors in the real acting world, playing these kind of washed-up theater camp teachers. I have to ask real quick, Sarah, are you familiar with the musical The Last Five Years? No. Okay. Not. The movie version has Jeremy Jordan and Anna Kendrick, and it's very good. But what I will tell you, one of the things that's beautiful about that story the core of that story is the the main couple in the story is a writer and uh, an actor, and oh, is this the one that goes backwards? So one character is going backwards through the whole story. One character is going forwards. So the only time they meet up and the only time there's a duet in the whole musical is when they choose to get married, and then their story continues to diverge. It's beautiful. It's part of it. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend. The reason I bring it up is because it, 
compared to theater camp, it's commentary on artistry. The reason this relationship ends up not working is because one of the artists in this relationship beyond succeeds and the other one is still waiting for their big break. And what I loved, I guess, about theater camp is that it's not about who, I mean, sure. Does Troy get a whole bunch of angry calls based on the casting of the shows for the summer? Yes. But ultimately, let's be the honest, message, that is real. 100%. hundred <laughs> percent. But the, the core story, the final song that I, like, let me, made me cry at the end of this whole piece, the message of the, the, that blur between fiction and nonfiction for theater camp is that no matter what, theater is a home for those who feel like they need a place to belong. Yeah. And I saw that as a high schooler. I saw that as a high school teacher and director. You know, you have the kids that shine. You always do. You have these kids that shine. You've got the Amos and Rebecca Diane. You've got the Ben Platt. You know, you're going to, you have the kid that's on your stage that you're like, if anyone can make it, this kid can make it. But it is mm. a hard business. And it's a hard business that requires you to be willing to take risks, which is the beautiful thing that you see with Glenn, who has been ignored and shoved to the side as working on the tech and doing the lights and the set. And he's good at it. He's good at it. And as someone who has done theater, you need people who know their stuff with tech because it is a harder job than anyone wants to give them credit for it. There are parts of it that are way harder than being on stage. Um, mm -hmm. That's why they have an easier time. They have a much easier time finding jobs. <laughs> there's more of them that are required and it's a highly skilled job, but he also wants to be on stage it is that beautiful moment where you see him break out and take on a role that no one thinks he should do. No one thinks he's capable of, but it's his heart song. That is what he wants to do is he wants to perform and he does it beautifully. And it is just this phenomenal transformation that does show that that's at the heart of this. If it were, whether it was a documentary or a mockumentary and it's a mockumentary, but whether it was fiction or fact the heart is that you found a place to belong and this is where he belongs and he found his place mm. on stage that's where he really belonged and it's just mm -hmm. I, I loved it that was that was fantastic and i think troy is an interesting character because there's a lot about him that doesn't belong and yet he mm. realizes that he doesn't belong but he also can see glenn's potential and he is fully owning up to the fact that this is not his space, but he can see how people need the space. So let's try to save this mm. place that is facing foreclosure while his mom is in a coma at the hospital. <laughs> what does he say? Oh, I know. The, the book that he's trying to workshop is You Can't Spell Community Without Coma. <laughs> I don't know. No, that's I'm, I'm telling it's you. That's what it was. Good. Oh, is that what it is? And it's. Do 
yeah. also a really funny play with him on our obsession, our cultural obsession with fame and YouTube and social media because that's his world, right? So we've got this great commentary in addition to finding a place to belong on what happens when your entire world is sucked up in something that's not real. He's living in a world online that's not a real, it's not a real thing. And he finds something real well, when he's stuck at this theater camp. Well, and he finds a, a version of his mom, I think maybe that he never completely had sight of because he thought that she was just, you know, like wasting her summers and like putting her heart and soul into this. Yeah. Um, I, I think the first time we meet Troy in the movie, he says, I just feel so naked without my ring light. So you'll have to like give me a second. So yeah, 100% thinks that he's an internet influencer, you know, invites his internet influencer friends thinking that they'll save the camp, but of course they also have no money and they're being investigated for embezzling and all the things. But I, this is the problem with our our video being filmed. I was looking over here seeing if I could find the lyrics for that final song, but ultimately they say camp, it's not a home, but it kind of is. So defining that idea of even if the, you know, so much of the film is will the Adirondacks, will it survive beyond this summer? And the kids are pointing out it's not so much about this physical space as much as the community that we get to build in this space, the people we get to be together in this space. And the importance of, I don't have to dial back, especially as a theater kid. Um, And even Glenn, who... We, we need to acknowledge it's not just Glenn performing, it's Glenn performing in drag. I mean, that's a whole other level of becoming as he assumes this role on stage. It's a whole other vulnerability as he is taking on that presentation in front of the parents in the final week of camp. And yet ultimately he knows while it is a risk, it is a risk that is viable in this space. It is something that is not going to completely put me at odds because home it it kind of is this is a space where I can feel safe I can feel myself thank you theater camp for giving me that and I think that's what makes an effective documentary is that it is emulates what you get with an effective documentary which is a connection with the story being told and the people in the documentary in both, if you want it to be effective, you need to see yourself in the story or at least be able to empathize and have sympathy and also have an understanding of the story that's being told. And that's why people make documentary films, right? They, even if it's a nature film, they make a, a nature film because they want people to under, better understand the world they live in and better understand the animals they share the world with and the people they share the world with. And that's what's happening here with this mockumentary is this attempt. And I think really Ben Platt is trying to also, as an attempt as a filmmaker, trying to say, hey, I'm trying to share a part of my world with you. It's fictional because while there's a lot of vulnerable people, a lot of people willing to be vulnerable in theater. There's also a lot that don't want to have themselves potentially being made fun of. So let's make this a satire as well. Right. But he wants to share that world that he loves. And is so much a part of him with people who may not understand. And they don't, you know, I would have kids try out for shows their senior year of high school. And sometimes they were athletes. 
sometimes they were new kids. Like they had not had anything to do with theater for four years. And then finally their senior year, they're like, I want to try the musical. I want to try singing and dancing on stage. That sounds like a good plan for my senior year. It never, without fail. Every year they were like, I should have done this earlier because they just saw their classmates going about their lives and didn't understand why they were one so exhausted. <laughs> and they also, they just didn't understand the love. And then once they did it, they were like, oh, this is a family. This is a group where I'm accepted, even though I haven't been doing this for forever. This is a group that I can see myself just being a part of, even if it's only for a few months. You know, and it's, it is a beautiful thing. And I think Ben Platt is doing that with theater camp is showing people that this can be, and is a beautiful thing as ridiculous as some of it may seem. And circling back to, I mean, the one documentary that we have talked about um, here at Lit Think, we talked about the Taylor Swift documentary and I can't emphasize how many people after seeing that documentary of her whole career for the first time ever perceived her as a legitimate artist that this piece, its job was to humanize her and to legitimize her. She's not just the girl who writes a million love songs about the million men she dates. She's an artist. And that documentary achieved that goal in presenting her in that light. So yes, then looking at what does theater camp do, no matter what in the ways that it blurs all of the lines, the through line is, as we look at the arts, as we look at funding, as we look at all of these bigger things and we go, oh, you're so dramatic. We need those people. They are the backbone of our world. They remind us what it is to be human. As we say that monster stories remind us everything we shouldn't be as humans. Theater reminds us everything we can be as humans. And that is so important for all of us. Storytelling. It's storytelling. And it is innate in humans to tell stories. People have been telling stories since the moment they could communicate. Since the moment humans discovered communication, they have been telling stories about their origins. They've been telling stories about the world that they see around them. It is how we understand ourselves. And we can see that in theater camp is that they are trying to tell stories about how they see themselves and understand themselves. And it is a process, just like all storytelling is a process. And in the end, they finally all are to the point where, yeah, I can see who I am and tell other people that this is who I am. It's, it, says, it sounds really funny to say that it's a beautiful film for something that is ridiculously funny and has a lot of just over-the-top moments at the same time. It is just beautiful. It's beautifully told because it doesn't take itself seriously. Like, isn't that like another one of the things that makes, I think we talk about some of the sitcoms that we loved that are also mockumentaries. One of the fun things about this genre and I think good comedy that can also deliver a good message is that it, it can't take itself too seriously. You know, I'm thoroughly loving season three of only murders. I know you don't have time to watch it right now, but that's another show. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And as a result, it can do so many beautiful things within the core of whodunit and friendship and theater and, and just even murder and crime scenes. I mean, all of these things that it's playing with, 
it can do all of that and do it well because it's not trying too hard to achieve something. It's just like, let's just have fun. So on that note, Sarah, talk to me about what you're enjoying right now. Well, I thought this was appropriate since we were talking about a mockumentary today to talk about reading Max Brooks's more recent book. I can't say the latest book, Devolution, which he's the one who wrote, he, he wrote World War Z. So we get this book about zombie apocalypse that is a look back and has a lot of different characters in it. Um, devolution is about Yeti slash Bigfoot slash Sasquatch, whatever you want to name, you want to give it the monster in the Pacific Northwest. And in the same style as World War Z, he has multiple eyewitness accounts, a diary, journal journals and articles and all of these things that he pulls into this mockumentary of a book and tells a story about a small community in the Pacific Northwest that gets attacked by Sasquatch, a family of Sasquatch slash Bigfoot after a volcanic eruption. It was fun. Mm. I'm not... I am not really into the Bigfoot myth stuff because I think it's kind of ridiculous, but it was so well told. It was just a well-crafted story. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. I did listen to it on audio and as he did with World War Z, there was a different voice for each of the characters. So Mm -hmm. it's fun to hear that story all unfold again, kind of like a mockumentary, right? You're getting the different stories there. Um, And then we haven't gotten very far into it, but we started the first couple episodes of one piece and I'm holding my judgment till the end of the series. It's interesting. And it's based on um, a cartoon slash manga graphic novel, I believe, but it's on Netflix and it's pirates and Kung Fu. And it, there's so many things going on. I'm trying to figure out what all is going on, but it's also been entertaining. So we'll have to see how it all pans out. I, I don't know how it's going to pan out. I, we're like two episodes in, but we'll we'll see. It is definitely a left turn from Yellowstone, so we'll go with that. There you go. I saw I saw a preview for One Piece, and I was like, this could be fun or it could be totally ridiculous. Well, so let me tell you, I'm actually this is not normal for me because while I do normally have a physical book I'm reading and an audiobook I'm listening to. I would not call myself exactly a fast reader, but I actually have two books that I'm going to recommend right now. Please excuse my cat and dog who are having drag races in the background up and down my office right now. Anyway, um, so the first one I want to recommend, I, you know, it's, it's the joys of at-home podcasting. So uh, the first one I want to recommend, it's an audiobook I'm in the middle of, but I, I have watched the film adaptation that's on Amazon Prime and stars Jane. Pa- is this Jane Pattern? He, he was in Big Bang Theory. Who is it? Jane Patterson? Uh, anyway, okay. Jim. The guy who played Sheldon Parsons, in Big Jim Bang Parsons. Theory. Jim. Jim yeah. Parsons. Thank you. Jim Parsons. Uh, so Jim Parsons is in the movie version. I don't know. I was getting there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the book is by Michael Asiello. Michael Asiello, most of his professional career, he was a TV critic. So what's really fun about that's captured in the book that they kind of nod to, but not in the same way in the movie, half of what he's talking about is 
well, this show was on TV when this was happening in my life. And he, the way he structures his memoir is he's present day. The book is called Spoiler Alert, The Hero Dies. You know from like the, the first page that his partner is going to die by the end of this story. But then uh, the way he does flashbacks is every other chapter or so, it's called Previously On, and then he flashes back to the beginning of their relationship. So it's just kind of a fun nod to what he loves, what he is familiar with, the dialogue around all of that. And I think that's just beautiful and powerful. And it is for being a story about star-crossed lovers who you know are not going to have a happy ending. It is also very much, it, it, it's just fun. It's, it's actually weirdly lighthearted and, and comical. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And then for a while, several people have recommended that I needed to read On Earth Were Briefly Gorgeous. And I finally read that. The audiobook is read by Ocean Fung. And you can very much tell that Ocean Fung is, is trained as a poet. I mean, the whole memoir is structured as a letter to his mother. It is, it is dark. It is deep. It is so beautifully written. There were times where it was kind of hard to listen to the, the layers and the, I think the raw honesty of the story. But I also, for anyone who loves words and what someone can do to tell a story when they're really reverent with the words they choose, I, I highly recommend it. Okay, sounds good. All right, here's your reminder that you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram and as our main socials, but you can see what we're reading and what we're watching and our announcements of blog posts and upcoming uh, announcements for podcast episodes and eventually in November, all of the stuff that we're doing for NCTE. So uh, follow us on our socials so that you can get that information and even better, make sure you subscribe to our Substack because that will get the podcast episodes directly into your inbox. It will get our blog posts that are bi-weekly into your inbox so that you know what's going on and what we're thinking outside of the podcast episodes and just taking the episode a little bit further, but putting it in your classroom. Um, you will also get announcements about what's happening with NCTE. So you want to pay attention to what's happening in our lives and in the podcast, Substack is the way to go. So make sure you go to our Instagram page and follow the link to subscribe. So I, I think that covers all the, all the follow stuff, right? This has been Sarah and Alicia signing off. Keep on lit thinking people.